Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. Uh, it is 5-5-2021, and we're ready to begin our worship service. <clears throat> Let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you for this hour we have this evening. We pray for wisdom as we approach you, your word. We pray that we will understand the text before us. Father, we thank you for those who are here. Uh, we pray for each and every family associated with Word is Truth, the children. Father, we have had uh, death in our families and people grieving. So we're asking your, your comfort over all of those families who are, in, who are suffering, grieving, in pain. And uh, as we continue down here in this pandemic as well. Uh, we pray for those who are traveling at this hour as well, asking, <clears throat> asking you for traveling mercies. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, as you know, our normal study is in on Wednesdays, Romans. We just happen to be in Romans chapter 9, and you should have some notes we will look at verse 8 today. So Romans 9, 8, if we get to it. So we'll take our time, no rush. We have some time for Q&A. So uh, the floor is open. Okay, I had a couple of um, more like statements or, or topics for discussion rather than specific questions. Um, one is, I can't remember exactly what drew me back to this, um, but in the beginning of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 12 to 17, where Paul is talking about you know, his, um, his being in prison is not such a bad thing after all because the gospel is being advanced. Mm -hmm. um, regardless of the motivation, <laughs> which is interesting. Mm -hmm. So in verse 15, he says, some people preach Christ from envy and rivalry, um, but others from goodwill. And, um, and, and rivalry, again, is mentioned in, in verse 17. Mm -hmm. So, um, But he talks about his imprisonment. He is actually emboldening um, other people who are aware of his situation. Um, and, and I find it, I, I just wanted to comment on that because I, I find it really amazing that the motivation um, is, not, is not even going to prevent the gospel from, from being advanced. Um, I remember somebody telling me in a, uh, in, in a, network marketing company they were you know big on make sure you tell everybody about this opportunity that's out there and everything and they would make the comment that you can't say the wrong thing to the right people mm -hmm. and you can't say the right thing to the wrong people so if they're arrogant they're you know boastful they're not willing to hear it it doesn't matter how logical you are in your and or gentle and seasoned with salt in your argument. 
um, or your presentation of the gospel. It doesn't matter. But other people, you know, they're they're eager to hear it. And if you if you mess it, even if you mess it up, <laughs> mm-hmm. they they're still you know enthralled to um, to hear and to learn um, about it. And I find that really interesting. And in yeah. Um, so do you have any comment on on that? Sure. Sure. Yeah. The um. You know, when it comes to that, uh, I would say that really is a good verse to make sure we look at it in the time in which it was written, because at that time, you know, Christ had, uh, it was very fresh. It was a new thing. So to get the word out is good. That's what I think he is, the point he's making, more so than, you know, everybody uh, they they may be preaching Christ for one reason or another, but the result is people don't even know anything about Christ at all. So if they get the understanding of who Christ is, they'll that's a better situation than them not knowing at all. And uh, uh, the gospel does get propagated. So sometimes. Uh, if you look in the context, it talks about some uh, former preach, verse 17, the former preach out of self-ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So some of their motives were really bad and hateful. And Paul is saying, what does it matter? In verse 18, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And yet, yes, I will continue to rejoice. The day we're in, I think people know the name of Christ now. They understand uh, more, or let's just say generally about Christianity. Uh, it wasn't so much in Paul's day. Uh, and, and But he's saying the better thing is that we, you know, the, his name is getting out there, the name of Christ. And I'm glad of that. Um, today, <laughs> when you mention Christ, uh, it is not the same atmosphere. I think many people, at least in this country, a lot of people will, will say they're Christian. Uh, it's not that we're a Christian country, but a lot of people have Christian roots. And um, so it's a little different than what we we're reading here in the context but i it was fascinating that that was paul's take on it uh, one thing to note was um you would think as exacting as he is he might have said you know they're preaching it wrong and what they should have done and then you know disregard them and and so forth but he didn't he, he saw the bigger picture and was able to to make that comment. I'm not sure we would see the bigger picture because today we would want to be more accurate. You know, everybody has this view of who Christ is, but we would say, "Oh, well, let me correct something here. This this person is not teaching truth." And so we might have a different attitude. But uh, it, yeah, his it's remarkable. Would you would you, would you agree that we have 
you know, thousands of more denominations today. Yes. And also we have, um, you know, TV and even TV before social media came out, um, spreading the idea of what Christianity was, and, and they completely missed it. So in part, they, I know they did a lot of things by word of mouth, and, you know, some event happens in town, everybody wants to go see it because nobody's sitting at home watching TV. Right. And so in, in Paul's time, everybody's aware of what's going on, but I don't think it would have had the opportunity to spread to thousands of denominations and a, you know, a, a certain core understanding of what Christianity was based on a, on a common, um, you know, announcement of, of what it was. Yeah, very true, very true. I, I had that same scripture. I was just going to say, I had that same scripture that the pastor just brought up, that Christ be preached. And, but with a twist that um, it wasn't so much that we, we persuade someone to understand what we were trying to say, but we don't know how God is working on the individual that we're speaking to and giving the Holy Spirit the opportunity that Christ be preached. And the Holy Spirit to take over for that person and bring those truths that we administer uh, to some kind of light. So, so you're yeah, that kind of ties into what I was saying about you can't say the wrong thing to the right person. So if the person is humble and teachable and the Holy Spirit is working in them, um, even if they're hearing hearing about it in, in the wrong, in a, in a uh, you know, from a, from a impure uh, motivation, they're still hearing about Christ. And, and to your point, Bill, that, that, um, that can be a strong working in them. True, true. And I would even go as far as to say that um, when we talk, well, we speak, we speak uh, what we hope we know, and then I, I would hope nobody is, is talking about false motives, but what happens is people think they know so they say what they think they know and it, it could be wrong and um, I think God the Holy Spirit still is a witness not to the error that they t are teaching but he is constantly working in the hearts of unbelievers trying to get them to turn to Christ just like he was in the Old Testament so that is his constant work. So whatever is mentioned, whether it's Bible or church or anything, I'm sure the Holy Spirit is doing the best he can. Now, I would imagine he's grieved at times when people speak uh, blasphemy and error and things that are certainly not true. But he, he will take what he can and use what he can. So there's certainly some validity to uh, these verses today. In fact, that's what we're, we're talking about on Sundays, the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, and what he does and how he handles himself. And, and uh, he doesn't actually need any of us, but we can work with him. He uses us, uh, but not uh, alone. 
he also works in the hearts of people uh, without us. So, you know, it talks about the things that the Holy Spirit comes to the world to convict them of, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So those, those three things are important, right? If they don't believe in Christ. Well, whatever your view is about Christ, the Holy Spirit is convicting if you're an unbeliever. He's working in your heart. Yep. Other thoughts out there? Yes, I, um, so I, I appreciate the, you being able to talk about this. Um, it's interesting in, in contrast to all the other later letters and places where they are you know, teaching and warning about false prophets and teachers. Um, and this, this seems to be, like he said, Paul is looking more at the big picture and saying that, you know, in the big picture, it is serving to advance the gospel, sure. even, even if they're not uh, purely motivated about it. Yeah. Well, you know, he tells you, you know, he was in jail at the time. He was under house arrest. He, he could not... Uh, Look, look at verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare, and dare all the more to proclaim the, the gospel without fear. So Paul recognized that his circumstances made a, a difference in a lot of people. And, um, and, and he was something to talk about. <laughs> he was... Paul was popular in this mm -hmm. day. He, he was a very popular mm -hmm. person. So it affected, I mean, the fact that even, I think, the person, you know, uh, when he was thrown in jail, remember uh, Paul and Silas in jail, uh, the, 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 the jailer eventually said, what must I do to be saved? So inter interestingly, uh, I don't know that they had a conversation or was were were Paul and Silas just having a conversation amongst themselves and then the jailer heard that he, you know he was talking they were talking and they said hmm this is something i'm interested in uh, so was that the first question or or it was it the tail end of their conversation question who knows but we can say that it drew him in so much so that he asked that particular question, what must I do to be saved? That is the question we would all hope someone asks us as we're witnessing or whether we're not witnessing but we're living the life before them. And can I just hope you are ready to answer that question. If someone asks you, what must I do to be saved. Don't don't do the stuttering act. <laughs> this this is time to speak clearly and directly about the salvation that we have. And Paul said it. I mean, I don't know how you could make it so uh, any more clear than what he said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. It's so clear. Not well, you know. You got to go to the temple. You know, you have to be. You have to show up on first Sunday, and you have to come before. You know, he, none of those things. 
they didn't say you had to repent or, you know, uh, feel sorry for your sins or believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what will be the result? And you will be saved. Well, there it is. It doesn't get any better than that. So, so you, you have to be ready. What's going to be your response when someone asks you, what must I do to be saved? Okay. Other thoughts out there before we uh, conclude? Or did Dwight, did you have another thought? Or Bill or Dave, anybody? I have, I have another um, scripture, but I, I'll bring it up uh, next week, Sunday or next Wednesday. Um, looks like we've got quite a bit to cover in Romans 9 8. Right. And I'm anxious to get into there. If we, um, there's nothing else on the table. Sounds good to me. Romans chapter 9. I'm heading there now. So Romans chapter 9. Let's see. Let's do 9. All right. So let's, uh, let's pick up to where we left off. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. So that's what we're going to talk about, that last verse. Uh, we, you should have some notes. And in your notes, I must introduce you to God. By this introduction, I mean to declare that God has personhood. Personhood can be defined as, one, the state or fact of being a person. Two, the state or fact of being an individual or having human characteristics and feelings. A harsh prison system that deprives prisoners of their personhood, as an example. All this came from dictionary.com, very easy to find. But the, the number two, one, number, number one and two, that's really where I'm coming from. The state or fact of being a person. Now, I have to add, uh, continuing, also I must state that God is not a human person. But in particular, God has a will with intelligence and plans, and he executes his plans, much like we do. God has the right of self-expression, 
and self-will. Just as I do not need your permission to write this, God can do and does make decisions according to his will. Just as we must learn to respect the will and desires of others, we must learn to respect God's, the choice, choices of God. So this is just a short introduction of where we are and where I see God exercising his muscles here, his, his will to have what he decides that he wants to have. So we, we have to respect that. We can't just uh, mold God into what we want him to be. Uh, like a genie in a bottle. People say, oh, you know, they, you know the story. And the person finds this ancient looking bottle and then he rubs it and the genie comes out. And the genie says, I give you three wishes. And all of us have said, well, wish for more wishes. You know, that's, he says, no, nah, you can't do that. But anyway, it, usually the wishes backfire and it's really not what you want. You know, this is how the story goes. But in any case, God is not a genie in a bottle here to serve us. You know, as I listen to popular Christian uh, conversation today, that's what it basically boils down to. God has this great destiny for you. And if you can just break through and hold on, you're going to get to your destiny. And boy, that destiny, you just cannot imagine what God has planned for you. And it is going to make you, you, your, your mind will just be blown by all the wealth and things that God will eventually have for you. And it's really talking about this world. I'm, I almost want to say, at the end of that, you fool, for this night, your life is required of you. What about God's plans? What about it? What Have you considered what God wants? Not what you want and God making you happy, but have you considered what God wants? What is he? You, you know the only way you can do that, the only way is in humility. You have to look away from yourself to say, well, what does God want? What does God want? Not what I want, not what's important to me, not, not what I'd like to have, what would make me happy. But what does God want? What's, what is he interested in doing? I mean, he did this whole creation. He created the heavens and the earth and he restored the earth for habitation, for all these things. And yet, the Christian world is stuck on this whole construct of trying to please human beings. That's, that's the point. So in this Romans 9 scenario, what we want to do is, is allow God to be God. Allow him to illustrate who he is through what he has told us here. He's telling us in Romans 9. This is one of those passages where you have to sit, sit up, pay attention. God is saying, I formed Israel. He's not saying I just formed Israel because I felt like it and, and it has no context to it. 
He did it because he felt like it. He did it because it was a part of his eternal purpose. But why is he bringing it up now? Why is he telling us that he formed Israel in this particular way? It's because Israel has a problem with God calling the church. The fact that that the church is... Uh, you know, taken from Jews and Gentiles, and God made us something new, according to Ephesians 2. Out of, the, out of one man, out of uh, the two, he made one. He made one new man out of the two. And the Jews don't like that. They said, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. We're the ones that are chosen. You called us. You can't go back on your word. If you do, the word of God has failed. So, Paul gives an apology. Apology doesn't mean like I'm sorry. It means a defense for God. Now, really, it's God giving his defense through the Apostle Paul. Okay, here, here, he knows what the questions are, and he's allowing the Apostle Paul to answer them through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we have in Romans 9. We have God telling us why. And you know, one of the reasons he can, he, he can do this is because he can do what he wants to do. God, he can, we don't have any objection to him calling the church. I don't. I don't think anybody on this phone does. But I can tell you, there are many who have the objection. And if you haven't run into any of them yet, you will. If you keep out, putting yourself out there, teaching the gospel and uh, the spiritual way of life that we have in Christ, yeah, you, you're going to run into people who don't agree with the church calling. Okay, so what we want to do then is get into some of these notes, which helps to understand and explain where I'm coming from. So the first thought, is the scripture just says, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise. Uh, the promise are counted as offspring. Let's talk about it. So the point one is this means, okay, this first phrase, this means, that is, this is literally what it, that phrase is, that word is. It says that is, or that is to say. So he's clarifying what he wants to say here. Uh, in other words, this is to me is crucial to our understanding. So if I said something and gave you a statement, you might or might not have understood what I said. But then if I come back with the very next statement and said, what I meant was, and then I'm clarifying what I want to say. And then you are supposed to take that and say, oh, oh, this is what he means. Or if you were on top of it already, you would take that statement and say, yeah, I know your head is nodding up and down. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Exactly. So this is to say what? Right? That's what we want to do. Point B, we need to draw some conclusions here since we have some, ex some explanation given for clarity, especially the immediate context of verse 8 is verse 7. So verse 7 is pretty clear. Nor because they are 
his descendants are they Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. So I start this whole, uh, all these notes, this whole verse in 8 with, you know, okay, this means, means we have to go back to verse 7. But at the very end, the last 3D, if you look, a, a glance at the next verse lets us know we are on track with our understanding so far. And, you know, it's important that we are on track. You might say, well, why, Doug? What's the big deal? Why can't we just look at it and breathe through this? You should be done. Well, we, t we take our time. Verse by verse gives us an opportunity to make sure we looked at the context and have it right. And I would hope you're not sitting there tapping your foot, but that you understand what we're doing and appreciate the fact that we take our time rather than rush through these things. And when you survey the, lands, the theological landscape out there, what you will realize is these people are all over the place on these verses. I mean, you got some major denominations who have taken these verses to mean something completely different without recognizing what the context says. Oh, so, so there are a lot more of them than there are, they are of us. So we must say, we need a correct interpretation of what the Apostle Paul is teaching here. Now let's take our time. So anyway, here we are. So verse 7 talks about, where we were last week, talks about Isaac, right, uh, being the main purpose here, right, that God is called through Isaac. He says, not, not others, the children of Abraham. Uh, yeah, Abraham had lots of children, we could say. But it is through Isaac that your offspring will be named. So we went through a lot of that last week. We're not going to have to hopefully repeat it unless someone has a question about it. But in verse 8, he's clarifying. He's, he's digging down even more. And that helps us know what we're talking about, just as we just said. So that, point C, we are blessed to have phrases like this to keep us on track with the context. We cannot ignore the Bible's own explanation of what, quote, this means. That's important for us. So we're moving on to point number two. We're going to get into it. That is, it is not the children of the flesh, this is point number two, who are the children of God. This could be a tough verse. Could be. But some people um, look at this and... I'll tell you what the problems are. Point A, referring to, this, refer, this is referring to Abraham's offspring, his children of the flesh. Okay? It's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. So we have to understand who are the children of the flesh and who are the children of God. If I ask you that on the surface of things, what would you say? You would say, oh, the children of the flesh. Well, they're unbelievers. The children of God, well, they're believers. It's very plain. I would say that is a wrong way to think about this. So here's why. Point B. Here, we are not referring to salvation at all, but God's sovereign choice that, quote, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That's verse 7. That's what we get, right? In verse 7, but it is through Isaac that your offspring will be named. 
So Abraham had other children, but that's not, he's not considering that those other children are God's children. What do we mean, other children are God's children? Other children are God's preference. And what, what, what's the point here? Verse uh, point C is where we're getting to it. Children of God. Let's see, what is children of God? This is not necessarily relating to salvation, but to the forming of Israel through God's choices. This is what it, mean, what it means by God's children, God's choices. And who are God's children? In this scenario, in, in this verse, it will be Abraham, Isaac, in particular, because we didn't get to Jacob yet. But if you read down further, if you cheat and read down some, you will see that is Jacob is next. We're going to we're going to talk about him next. So I'm just putting it in here. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are God's children that he's talking about. That's in context what he means by children of God. So it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. So point D is why? Why do I say that? Because keep in mind what what is God doing here? And we said it again. I said it in a previous point. Forming the nation Israel. Now, I hope that is what is ringing in your ears. Forming the nation Israel. He's not picking people for salvation. right? Some he picks and others he doesn't. That's not what he's doing. He's forming the nation Israel according to what his desires, his choices are. Not what man's choices are. Okay? So we could get to uh, the children of God and we could say, who are the children of God? We'd have to limit that to Abraham, to Isaac, and then to Jacob. That sounds very limited. Right? So point E, we want to make sure we understand that there were other believers in Abraham's day. Were they? Were they other believers? I'd have to say yes. There were. So there were other believers in Isaac's day. But doesn't mean that we're, we're only talking about believers and unbelievers here. And in Jacob's day, for sure, there were other believers who were on the earth at that time. Uh, for sure, they were there. But we have to say, whatever those other believers were, they were not to be Israel. Because God took from the Gentile nations or Gentile peoples and he made the Jewish nation on the calling of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, there was nothing Israel could have done about it. In fact, Israel tried to do different things and God had to stop them at every turn. So what is in point F? Children of the flesh are physical descendants of Abraham. So who, who was it? So first of all, we already talked about, uh, and I think we're going to cover it in some of the next points here. I think the very next point we're going to cover it. So maybe we don't, we don't talk about the physical descendants just yet. But you're going to note that they are not Isaac and Jacob. Okay? They're not Isaac. Now, how do I know it's Isaac and Jacob? Because of what he just said in verse 7. 
but through Isaac so shall your offspring, offspring is children, be named. So it is as though God ignored Abraham's children, uh, Ishmael, right? He, Abraham wanted Ishmael, he loved Ishmael. He wanted Ishmael to be the promised son. And, you know, we could say, well, it matters whether Ishmael was a believer. Ishmael was an unbeliever. That is not, I don't know where we get that from. Ishmael was circumcised. Ishmael was a part of uh, uh, Abraham's tutelage, and uh, he, he taught him his ways and everything. I, if you ask me, I would say Ishmael was a believer. And we know that even though God said no, to, uh, it, it's not Ishmael, God took care of him. He said, I will bless him. He will, be, he will become a great nation. In fact, told Hagar this when he was a little boy. And he was out, and God said they got to go. And they went. But Hagar was crying, and the Lord came to her and told her this information. So, is Ishmael a believer or an unbeliever? I think he was a believer. Do I know for sure? No, I don't. But I think he was. Why wouldn't he be? Abraham was, and he taught him. Abraham wanted him to be, to be the inheritor of all of what he had. But God said, no, it is an Isaac shall your offspring be named. And it, we, we talked about the story last time. So that God didn't just choose Abraham. He chose Sarah, too. And when he chose Sarah, he was telling Abraham, it's going to be through Sarah that you're going to have a son. That's. So it wasn't just Abraham being chosen. God chose the man. He chose the woman by which his calling would be realized. So point number two. This means, or actually point number three now. This means that the children of the flesh who, uh, of the flesh who are the children of God. It is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. Point three, but it is the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So the promise. Okay, so let's get to this. We should know only the children of the promise. And who is that? Isaac, right? And his line. That's what God considers children of the promise. Uh, we can review the others to be clear. And let's just review them. Eleazar, remember, Genesis 15. Uh, we're going to read about Eleazar, who... It was a servant. Abraham was promised that he'd have a son, I believe, around somewhere in 12. But Abraham, by, the, by chapter 15, Abraham said, you know, I don't have any kids yet. I still don't. So here's what I'm going to do. I got this faithful servant who is Eleazar. His name is Eleazar. And I'm going to give him the inheritance. He's going to be my heir. So, I mean, uh, God had to come to Abraham and say, no, Abraham, that's not the case. And then Ishmael, we already talked about Ishmael, how Abraham loved him. And God said, no, 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 no. Ishmael was by Hagar, and that was not to be. God has specifically decided that it, would, it was going to be through Sarah. And he, in God's timing, but Abraham was anxious. Uh, even Sarah was anxious about it. And so 
along came Ishmael. Or we didn't get to the next few verses where it talks about uh, Jacob and Esau, who, who we need to talk about because God is further helping us understand what his calling was to form Israel. Now, Jacob, uh, who was the next person who was called, God eventually changed his name to Israel. This is where we get the tribes of Israel, which were Jacob's sons. So God was forming the nation Israel. He was very specific about it. He was very uh, deliberate about it to make the choices that he made. He could have went a lot of different directions. We should note that. But he didn't. He was clear. He could have said, oh, yeah, Abraham, you're right. I haven't, I forgot I hadn't done that. Ishmael, go ahead with it. Go ahead with Eleazar. But no, none of those solutions would have worked. I mean, even though they said, this is it. We're doing this. I mean, when Sarah and when they had Ishmael, that was it. And then Abraham had many other sons after Sarah died. So... He had six other sons by Keturah. So after, after uh, this was, I mean, these are also Abraham's children. And, and yet none of them are counted for God's offspring, as God's offspring. We should note that. So these verses, can you just generalize and say, okay, what about children of God? Who are the children of God? And you could say, oh, well, anybody who's saved is the children of God. Those are the children. Not what God's, that's not the point he's making here at all. So point B, children of the promise. And what do we mean, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. The promise that Abraham would have a son. And let's just review it. I think we read this last week. I'm going to go to Genesis because it bears reading again. Genesis 15, since it's mentioned again, 3 through 5. So, and Abraham said, this is Genesis 15, 3. And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. He didn't say, so God, can a servant from my household be my heir? God, I would like for a servant from my household to be my heir. God, I'm I'm petitioning you. Can, I know you told me I'm going to have a son. Can it be Eleazar? Listen, Abraham told God who was going to be the heir. He says, I don't, you, you haven't given me any children. You didn't keep your promise the way you should have. So a servant in my household will, will be my heir. God had to say, wait a minute, hold on. Then the word of the Lord came to him. <laughs> this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood, will be your heir. So he had to stop Abraham in his tracks. Uh, This is literally what our last phrase, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So then it says, he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Who's he talking about? Is he talking about all believers? Is he talking about everybody in the world who believes? That is not what he's talking about. He's talking about the nation Israel. From Isaac, 
who was a miracle child, will come a nation. And that nation will be Israel. That's who he's talking about. It'd be, they will be so numerous, you won't be able to count them all. There's no way. So, that that is clear if we go to that verse. And then Genesis, who's the children of the promise? This is the promise. God is promising Abraham that he's going to have a son. This is what we mean by promise. And then let's go to 17. Genesis, that is, chapter 17. 15 through 19. I'm really sure we went through these last week, but it bears repeating. Hopefully we get the point and we're on the right track here. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you will no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. And then 16, I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations kings and peoples will come from her. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down and laughed. This, we already discussed this last week, how insulting Abraham was. He laughed in God's face. And this is what he said, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Plus, she never had born children. She was... Uh, barren. So Abraham thought this was funny. but uh, And then um, Abraham said to God, if only, here it is, verse 18, Ishmael might live under your blessing. Well, again, we're saying, we're saying Abraham was pushing Israel in front of, this is before Isaac even got on the scene. He just said, no, it's Ishmael. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with you as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. Now, why would God surely bless him? I'm saying he must have been a believer. He's just, that's okay if you're a believer. You're just not in the line of those God chose to form the nation Israel. That's all. I will make him fruitful and he will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. Yeah, so listen, he goes on more about Sarah, what's going to happen next year, and so forth. God is very clear about what he wants. He sees the future. He's not guessing. He sees the he's, He knows what's going to happen. And part of this happening is God's doing because he sovereignly chose the, the nation Israel. That's how we have to see this. Point C. Here, we see God demonstrating his sovereignty to form the nation Israel according to his own choosing. Note, it is not like salvation. And what is salvation? Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Or John 3.16. For God loved the world so much he gave his only begotten son. Whoever That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So eternal life is whosoever will. 
whosoever will believe. This is not talking about salvation. I hope, if you didn't get anything else from today, that you understand that God is forming the nation Israel. He's not talking about salvation. He's forming the nation Israel. And we're going to get much more of this as we go forward in in the chapter. Um, So (laughs) as long as we get that point, we we can rest on the thought that uh, it is obviously Abraham. God has made promises to. Who is the child of the promise? Well, it's Isaac. And Isaac... From him is going to, just like we talked about Ishmael, is going to, God says, I'm going to bless him. He's going to be a great nation. Well, Isaac, God's going to bless him. And he's going to become a great nation. One in which the attention of the Bible focuses on. God's people. So now, you know, it's interesting what Israel did with, with this, this great calling. We, I mean, it goes on and on about the law and all the different aspects of he called them out of Egypt into the desert and he formed a nation. He, and then he even further, he promised land to them. I think I, point B at the end, if you go to Genesis 15, 18 through 21, you see where God promised land. I, I think I want to read that, Genesis 15. I know I'm going back, but let's look at that. Genesis 15. 18 through 21. So it says, On that day when, uh, uh, on the the day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, quote, to your descendants, I will give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. The land of the, now listen to all these peoples that were occupying these lands. The land of the Canaanites, Kenzitites, Zetites, uh, Kadamonites, Hittites, Pezzarites. <laughs> I can go on, but it goes on. Amorites, Canaanites, Gershonites, Jebusites. I can't even pronounce them all. I'm sure I made a mess of it. But I can tell you, th- this is a vast area God is talking about. And it all, God is land granted that to the nation Israel. All of that is for Israel and the tribes of Israel. Each of them have a particular region of that land. So God is very specific. He knows what he's going to do. He knows, he understands that Israel is going to go into captivity in Egypt. He understands that. He even says that earlier, you know, and so we are not to think that God is, uh, you know, letting things happen by happenstance. It is God's sovereignty. And this goes back to what I wanted to say earlier about his person, who he was, who God is as a person. He gets to make choices. We have to come to respect his choices. I don't know why we think that God is here to serve us, that we somehow are God and God's there to, to do his very best to make us happy. Uh, that's wrong thinking. I mean, that's childish thinking. That's thinking that is not even, uh, doesn't even make sense. I mean, God created the heavens and the earth for what? 
just to please us? Uh, well, in, we're going to be pleased for sure about what God's choices were. But it is his plan that is first and foremost in importance. So those are things we ought to understand. And then point D, a glance at the next verses lets us know we are on track with the understanding, with our understanding so far. And the next verses are, for this is what the promise said. And then it goes on to even say what the promise is. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Isn't that what we just read? So we just want to make sure that we are on track with what is in the apostles' mind. And then verse 10, and not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. And interestingly, uh, in this, Rebekah was also barren. So she did, you know, having children back in, the, in these days was uh, expected. If you were barren, then you were looked down upon. You had no children as a woman. But both uh, Sarah didn't have any children. She was barren, and so was Rebecca. We can read it. We can read about it. We'll get to it. So what are we talking about? We're talking about believers of all time? No, we're talking about God forming the nation Israel. And I'm glad that we're able to at least identify this. And I think it's clear. I, don't, I hope... Um, I don't know why we would want to see it in any other way so far. I mean, there may be verses that point us in different directions, sure. But so far, I think we're on the track. Thank God. So with this, we're going to end. And I see we're just about at our time. And uh, we will continue with verse 9 next week. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for the text that is before us. Not only did you preserve it, but you preserved the integrity of it. The fact that it is true, it is logically spiritual, so that we, as we read these things, they resonate with us, and we understand, and we know that we're walking in, in your path. We thank you for those who have joined the study this evening, and we pray for clarity and wisdom as we go forward. In these most controversial of verses, and although we're not saying they're controversial, but what others have done with these verses are. So we pray that we here at Word is Truth will have the clarity that you provide. All of this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Amen.